First up, we're going to be speaking with Sam Watson, Aboriginal elder and activist from um, Queensland, and specifically Brisbane, and he'll tell you what land he's on when he introduces himself. We'll be speaking with Sam Watson uh, about a number of issues, basically about um, heart disease rates going up in Aboriginal children. We'll also speak with him about the recent role that Tony Abbott has been allocated in the federal government, specifically being the Indigenous Convoy. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the program. Yeah, and thanks for uh, inviting us on, and uh, g'day to uh, all you mob across the uh, radio land, as it were, and uh, yeah, hope everyone as well, and that uh, we are surviving under the uh, under this appalling bloody uh, political system that we've been thrust into, and uh, really, you look at uh, the federal government, and you think, oh my God, you know, it's, uh, they're a great recipe for uh, for disaster, and they uh, they really are an outstanding advertisement for armed revolution and uprising. Absolutely, absolutely. Sam, I'm wondering, could you tell us what land you're from, first of all? Because it's yeah. really important for listeners to know that. Okay. I was born and raised here in a place now called Brisbane, but uh, my grandmother's country is a little bit uh, further southeast of here, and uh, we're, we're Wanjibara people. Our country extends from... Um, place called uh, Beanley across to Mount Jamboree and down to the border ranges and that's country of the uh, the pretty face wallaby and uh, the our the senior women in our family have always been keepers of uh, a particular group of songlines that uh, journey from the border ranges uh, up through uh, the southeast Queensland area and into the Sunshine Coast so that's our country and on grandfather's side of course were Bowen Basin mob. We uh, belonged to Mount Nebo uh, and around that place where that Adani mob want to put their big new coal mine. But, uh, you know, our mob are going to stop them, of course, one time. Absolutely. It is important for your mob to stop that, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, we've, had, we've had enormous support across the, uh, the broader community and that, again, just... Uh, exemplifies and uh, solidifies the uh, the importance of the, the working partnership that's now developed between the, the black political movement and the broader mainstream political struggle because, uh, as they say, you know, uh, united we stand but divided we fall. So we do need to come together and stand together one time. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's pretty important. So I think um, what we need to concentrate on now, Sam, is I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the heart disease in Aboriginal children. And you're, you were mentioning off air that um, that rates were going up. That's right. And uh, in in recent weeks, the recent months, uh, senior uh, medical medical people have uh, you know raised the alarm bells because uh, Aboriginal children in, in those so-called remote communities. Uh, are suffering from diseases and conditions that uh, disappeared from the mainstream urban communities years ago, decades ago. Um, and when you see these, these small children um, with very tiny, thin bodies, uh, because they're, they're quite malnourished as well, um, and they have the, the you know, age-old diseases uh, and symptoms, um, and you see these little ones having to undertake uh, over-heart surgeries at their age before they're 10th, 12th birthdays. It's uh, 
it's absolutely appalling. And then you, um, and then our mob, who are you know journalists and camera people as well, go behind the uh, the scenes and have a look at the the appalling conditions that our people have to live in in those remote communities. And it's just uh, it's mind numbing that uh, these children have to live in places like that. Uh, and and it goes back to you know this. Uh, right across that broad gamut of, uh, from day one of the European invasion of our country, right the way through the 1800s, the 1900s. And even though uh, historians and politicians will come forward and say there have been great improvements that uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people were able to take actions before the Industrial Relations Court and, and win the right to, uh, you know, to be paid equal wages. But what, what happened during the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s is that when our people did take actions through the the upper courts and win the right to be paid uh, equal wages instead of being paid uh, bags of rations, um, the the white fellows who owned the the cattle runs and ran the big properties and uh, sold the beef, white fellows didn't pay the equal wages that they were ordered to by the court. White fellows uh, simply sacked uh, Aboriginal workers and just removed them from those places which were their traditional homeland. So when you win on one hand, when you win the right to, to demand equal wages, uh, the the ruling class uh, will respond by simply stripping away further rights. So it's uh, yeah. an ongoing class warfare. Yep. Definitely a class war. And, and in fact, that really adds up historically, doesn't it, to the fact what you're saying then, Sam, is that there's been a lot of atrocities that have happened um, during colonisation and during the frontier wars, which isn't acknowledged at all. That's right. I mean, picked up the uh, weekend papers, to, as we always do, me and Catherine, uh, and we saw one of one of Australia's uh, best known, uh, you know, live music performers, Troy Casadali, is, is a wonderful, yes. uh, wonderful performer, great, uh, great voice and strong. Uh, you know, uh, Aboriginal man, and he tells this incredible story about uh, growing up uh, in his in his country and uh, the way in which his grandmother uh, forbade him and his mob, him and his, you know, the, his brothers and sisters, to not go to a certain place in their neighbourhood, not to go to a certain place, and uh, and it wasn't until years later uh, that he was finally told uh, when he got a bit older that. Uh, the reason why the children were, were barred from going into this place was because that was a massacre site. And, you know, there wouldn't be... Every every Aboriginal community across Australia, every Aboriginal family uh, would have a truth like that uh, back there in, in the shadows where... And they're not told these things until until they're old enough to be able to process uh, just what happened. So That's right. And, and you know, that you, you'd know that... Uh, Hundreds, thousands of our people were were slaughtered, masked, hunted down like like uh, animals, uh, like feral pests, and uh, and yet very rarely uh, were any of these murderers, any of these butchers uh, ever ever brought to account. I mean, after the second world, the atrocities of the second world war, uh, the you know the global authorities spent decades uh, tracking down the perpetrators of the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, and large numbers of those those criminals and butchers uh, yeah. were actually arrested, charged, taken before the courts, and and dealt with. But uh, 
Absolutely. here in Australia. Uh, very few of those people have committed those terrible. Absolutely, terrible no. It's it's it's. Uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff about massacres, and I'd like to talk to you about another show because that'll just take up a whole show, really. But we've only got a couple okay. of minutes left. But yep, so yep. so with the the heart rates of of children, we've, yes. Um, what are some solutions that that we can have put in place to try well, and improve that medical yeah, care? Every Australian child should have access to decent potable drinking water. That that's a big start. So mm-hmm. all our children, regardless of where they're growing up, in the back of the back of the APY lands or the middle of Brisbane City or Melbourne. They all need to have access to decent drinking water. All our children need need access to a decent bedroom, a decent bed. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, decent, and then the kitchen has got to be a fridge full of food, decent food, you know, fruit, veggies, mm. uh, whole grain breads, these sort of things. Kitties need to have uh, access to the proper things, so they can conduct their schoolwork. So they come home, they have a, a, a teaching space, a learning space where they can do their homework because education is so critical. It's such, such, such an important part of the, uh, the growing really up is. process. So that's a big step. So it, and it you need to have the children. I mean, that's that old saying that's been around for a long, long time that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in our community, in our culture, um, again, you need to involve the elders. I mean, I've, I've been to universities, I've been to colleges and all this sort of gear. Never got my degree, but, well, you know, no drama. I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. But 99% of what I know, I learned from my elders sitting in a place like Musgrave Park, you know. Didn't learn in white classrooms. I learned it there, sitting down there with uncles and aunties. It travelled the world and taught me those things I need to know as an Aboriginal man. So these children, unfortunately, because they have no future in front of them because they can't see any success stories in their own families, in their own communities. They think they just, they've just given up so early. They just don't think they have any hope in life. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's and we need to turn that around. We need to engage with them. We need to engage with their parents, their communities. We need to say, no, there, there is a life beyond this that uh, you will succeed. And we need to actually, as I said, um, you've talked about it in the context of history as well, which is important. Now, just very quickly, um, are you able to just quickly comment, because I know this is something you wanted to talk about, about what what you think as, as an Indigenous person in regards to Abbott, um, Tony Abbott having that role um, uh, liaising with Indigenous people? Well, Tony Abbott can take his bike and he can take his red uh, speedos and you stick them where the sun don't shine because uh, he was a waste of time as, as a Prime Minister, a waste of time as a politician. Um, I mean, these, these mob down in Canberra, we don't see them up here in place like Brisbane. You don't see them in place like Palm Island or Doomagee or out on the APY lands or in those 73 designated communities in the Territory. You don't see them, uh, you know, in the, in the real places where... Aboriginal people live and work and battle day to day. So Tony Abbott needs to get out there. If he's going to be the uh, the you know the minister minister's envoy for Aboriginal affairs, he gets that needs to get down to a place like Musgrave Park. Uh, there's there's over fifty thousand Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living and working in Brisbane, yet we have never had a federal minister for Aboriginal affairs visit us here in Brisbane. Since oh, I can't even recall the last That's... time we had a federal politician visit here and find out exactly what the challenges are, because 
you know, we, were, we had a many of Musgrave Park this morning, simply because uh, at Musgrave Park we're getting large numbers of, of young kiddies dropping out of school very early, coming into places like Musgrave Park, uh, and unfortunately picking up um, really bad habits and messing around with uh, with paint cans and, and petrol and that, those sorts of things. So we need to be have the funds and the resources so that we can stop this now, so that uh, we can save these children from from going on that downward spiral into into further and more more desperate addiction. Well, so, I'm hoping that uh, you know we can we can actually take listeners back to when Tony Abbott said that um, before um, white people came that it was just bush that it was Terra Nullis. 